he, the argument that he makes is that Judaism in its original form was a closer to like sort of an indigenous based, an indigenous earth based tradition, mm-hmm. more so than like this sort of like academic bookish, like Europeanized or Christianized mm-hmm. view of Judaism that people have today. And so, you know, I think anything that really connects us back to the earth and like therefore connects us back to ourselves in like this elemental way. Yeah is psychedelic like what is the point of a psychedelic if not to feel of your own essence hello it's your host kat walsh and you're listening to another episode of trip on this this podcast is for mature audiences and is not suitable for young children trip on this is intended for entertainment purposes only and we do not condone the use of illegal substances enjoy the show Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Trip On This. It's your host, Kat, and it is such a pleasure to be connected with you all once again. On this week's episode, I am with Madison Margolin. Madison is the co-founder and editorial director for the psychedelic magazine and media company, Double Blind. Double Blind is doing some fantastic things in the psychedelic space, truly on the front lines of this movement, reporting all across the board between the legislation, what's going on with reciprocity and the indigenous, talking about different trip sitting and different ways to grow mushrooms. I mean, they are truly covering the gamut. So it was such a pleasure to get to sit down with Madison and pick her brain a little bit. On this episode, we talk, of course, about her own journey, which, by the way, she grew up with the spiritual leader Ram Das, so that was awesome to hear about. But we also get into things like psychedelics and Judaism, psychedelics in, and religion in general, and how actually um, John Hopkins and a few other uh, studies are being done in this kind of religious context with psychedelics. So we get into all discussion around that. And we also talk about a psychedelic work culture and what it means to have a psychedelic lifestyle. So we really touch on a lot of cool little areas in this episode, and I very much hope you enjoy it. A few things, as always, if you're not following me on socials, please do so. I'll link everything in the copy of this episode. And of course, if you are enjoying Chip on this, share it out, share it out, share it out. It is so helpful for me to grow this and get the word out. And so with that, please enjoy this next episode with Madison Margolin. All right, Madison, thank you so much for being here. It is such a pleasure to meet you. I've actually had a chance to speak with your counterpart, Shelby Hartman, and I told her the same thing that I'm going to tell you, and that is just the work that you two are doing at Double Blind is so invaluable to this movement and seeing your exponential growth, honestly, even since I spoke with her a few months ago, just really shows a testament to the work you two are doing. So I'm super excited to pick your brain today and yeah, get to know you better. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. So on trip on this, like I was mentioning, for me, it's important to also like highlight the human first and then get into the psychedelics. And so for me, what I would love to know is you're dedicating your life, right, to cannabis and psychedelics. Take us back. What what really pulled you into the space, the passion for it? So I grew up in the psychedelic space. My parents are hippies. They were involved, you know, in the Ramdas movement. 
I grew up with a lot of adults like smoking weed and, you know, people who were very much influenced by their own psychedelic experiences and that had set them on a path to exploring spirituality, you know, sort of alternative lifestyles, you could say. So that was the, you know, the context of my upbringing. When I was in college, I went to UC Berkeley and, you know, I was looking to have just like the quintessential Berkeley experience. Totally. And so I, my very first semester, I did a research paper on psychedelics and I had never even done, I'd never tripped at that point. I was 18 and it was like, as if, you know, it's like you read the guidebook to Paris and then you go and visit Paris. And so I did all this research and wrote this paper on sort of the influence of Aldous Huxley's stores of perception. And I did all this other kind of reading and I read Timothy Leary and Ram Dass and, you know, all the sort of like greats of that time. Mm -hmm. And then I tripped for the first time when I was 18 and it was just, you know, a like transcendent day, you know, it really just like left a mark on my soul, so to speak, uh, in a way that I just like have carried with me, you know, for more than the past decade now. And that's really been like my inspiration is just sort of being able to harness that feeling that I had and really, explore like what it meant and what was it um and you know what was influencing all the people who again were part of my upbringing including my own parents and ramdas who was a family friend and so when i was in journalism school you know i didn't think i wanted to like go into psychedelics like as a job yeah. yeah but it it kind of just happened i was every student had to do um every student was assigned like a specific ethnic community to report on and so i was given like the hasidic community in brooklyn and I met a bunch of kids who were sort of like negotiating their relationship to religion. They weren't mm. so observant, but they, you know, were coming from that background and doing a lot of say, It's a very close knit community. Yeah, it's a very close knit community. And, you know, especially for people who, you know, who, de- who deviate from like the straight and narrow path, like it can be very, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so I met these kids who were having a lot of psychedelic experiences and, you know, growing up Jewish as well. Like it just really like, I was like, how can, you know, how can one go with the other? Like, of course, like this is, you know, their religious experience, you know, probably has an impact on their psychedelic experience. And it kind of just became this fascination. And again, I, you know, coming, growing up with Ramdas, I also kind of saw how that happened mm-hmm. um, to the previous generation. And so I, yeah, I just, I followed it. And, you know, I was writing a lot about cannabis policy in New York um, and then nationally for, you know, Village Voice or Rolling Stone or Vice or whatever. And, you know, I always would say that cannabis was a little bit of a gateway crop or a gateway plant mm-hmm. in exploring other um, plant medicines or psychedelic experiences. And so cannabis journalism lent itself to psychedelic journalism and the long, the long and, now, and now you're here. Uh, thank you so much. My one of my questions, kind of going back to when you were eighteen, you're doing all of your research and and listening to the greats. How did it? How did your experience then stack up against it? Because and I know it was transcendent, but when I think of when I whenever I talk about a psychedelic experience, that people like you can read everything and it's good to prepare yourself and then yeah you can never and then then you have the experience and it's going to be whatever it is like. Were were those writings, did they stack up for your experience as well? Or was yours kind of a surprise to you in some ways and still also transcend in whatever way it it transcended yeah, for you? That's a good question. I wouldn't say it was a surprise, but it like 
for sure surpassed my expectations. Mm. I, you know, I was lucky in that I really, I was a rhetoric major. And so this was for a rhetoric class and, you know, like rhetoric and linguistics, you get so specific in how you describe something. And I, um, I really, I, I had the vocabulary in a way to sort of understand what was going to happen mm-hmm. and what was happening, even though if I didn't understand it from an experiential point of view, um, you know, Aldous Huxley's doors of perception, like walks you through a trip. Mm-hmm. And so I had this kind of in the back of my mind, you know, and there was also music that I was listening to at the time and, you know, different musicians who were, you know, every 18 year old probably has a phase where they go through Jim Morrison, mm-hmm. you know, obsession or stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, thank, thank God it like, didn't, it didn't surprise me. It just, like I said, surpassed what I was ex- expecting. And wow. how could you really know, you know, yeah. like it's, no way to know what it's like without doing it. Yeah. But I think it's, I think it's just a good, again, like testament to when you are more prepared into knowing, knowing being as prepared as you can, knowing that you really like can't compare what the actual experience is going to really be, but the ways that you can mitigate your nerves, right. And nervousness going in. And I I really wish I did a whole bunch of research like that. I did not, I knew nothing about mushrooms and it showed because it was great. And then terrifying. I was like 16 and, and obviously here I am. So I'm back. But but it, it reminds me of how important it is to to do it when you're ready, right? Like you were really ready. You grew up in the community. You're you're hanging out with Ram Dass. Like what a legend. You're around uh, spiritual movers and shakers at the time. And it was just planting a beautiful seed for where you are today. And one of my next questions before we kind of get into more of the specifics is just, what is it like for you right now? You know, I'm watching Double Blind grow so quick. And you guys, like I was saying, you're on the front lines, right? Of the work you're doing. You've written over like 200 articles in this space. You've just started your own uh, Jewish Psychedelic Summit. Like you are an, a leader in the space that's really changing the face of it. How, just how does it feel for you to just feel like, oh man, I'm like leaving a real mark on this I don't know sometimes it's hard it's it's overwhelming honestly Mm -hmm. um I mean it's exhilarating but it's sometimes you have to like take a bird's eye view of what's actually happening you know Mm -hmm. um like I'm just trying to stay on my in my lane and on my track and like get everything done in a day that I need to get done and sometimes it's hard to see like the the forest from the trees and like what it's contributing to in this whole movement and when I do look back, step back and look at it, it really, yeah, it's, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I mean, no, it does. Overwhelming is perfect. Like humbling, I'm sure, because it is like, I can see, like, I'll tell you from the bird's eye view, because I view, because I'm not in your experience, just watching like how you're becoming such a, like a go-to source for legit psychedelic content. And like, oh, in the, in the world of the internet where there's just, you know, some good information and some like overly science information and just super anecdotal stuff. Like it's cool. Like that there's reputable places like that. And you, you and Shelby kind of coming from really hard journalism and science. And then also both of you hugging like your spiritual line and like allowing for your psychonaut expression to come through, but also like your journalistic science side. And I think you guys just, I'm going to reflect back to you are doing an excellent job of doing both without becoming really like one or the other. Thank you. Yeah. 
So let's, uh, on this spiritual topic, uh, you, we talked about it earlier before we start recording, but your article, uh, that in tablet called Judaism, psychedelic Renaissance, I'm going to quote the beginning of the article and I'm just going to have you jump right in. So you said this summer, this summer's Jewish psychedelic summit heralded the reintegration of acid, ecstasy, and other consciousness altering drugs into Jewish spiritual life, a tradition as old as the tribe itself. All right, Madison, break it down for us. What is the history of psychedelics and Judaism? I mean, when, when I heard reintegration about all these things, I'm like, okay, there's a lot I don't know. So take yeah, us through. I, I like to say that Judaism is an expression of altered states and also can engender an altered state in and of itself as like a container for that or mm-hmm. as a set and setting for that. So, you know, so much of the Jewish tradition is centered around sacred time. You know, you take Shabbat or the Sabbath and there's a Jewish philosopher who calls it like a palace in time. And so it's this time, 24 hours, or sorry, 25 hours where <clears throat> from Friday, after Friday at sundown till an hour after Saturday sundown, you're just in this like transcendent state. And like the things that you do for Shabbos kind of are meant to help you get there and stay there. So it's like sort of like being on an acid trip. So, you know, you think like, an, you think set is set in setting, right? Like the setting, you have a nice dinner, you have a nice lunch, you wear nice clothes, you, you know, you sing beautiful songs. And the set is like, you're in a mental space where you, are just at peace and at rest. And it takes a lot of mental diligence to be there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like really being in like a heart space um, more than like a workspace and that kind of thing. And so I always say that Shabbos is really psychedelic, but it took me integrating psychedelics into my Shabbos experience to see that Shabbat in and of itself, with or without the drugs, was a psychedelic experience. Mm. And so, you know, I had certain experiences doing, you know, like MDMA on Shabbos or ayahuasca and really feeling into like the spirit of this sort of like sacred transcendent palace and time that's like different from mundane um you know the mundane work week and so all of the holidays also are kind of different flavors of that type of thing um and so like i said the the way that you observe you can observe if you get into like the flavor and spirit of the religion and what it offers in the Jewish calendar specifically, like Mm -hmm. that is psychedelic. Now, the other part that's more obvious is that psychedelics were also present in sort of like the developmental stages of the religion. So acacia, Mm -hmm. which is a DMT complaining, DMT containing shrub um, native to the, to the middle East acacia contains DMT. And, you know, it was believed that the Jews learned acacia extraction technology from the Egyptians when they were slaves in Egypt. And when they left Egypt, they took with them that extraction technology. And so people surmise that, you know, the burning bush or whatever with Moses was actually an acacia shrub. You know, there's also the Middle Eastern version of ayahuasca. So you would combine acacia with like Syrian rue Mm -hmm. um, and the two of those together in combination, the same way ayahuasca works in combination as two Mm -hmm. or two plants will like sort of unlock each other and also produce a psychoactive experience. And then, you know, there's been evidence of, you know, hashish residue in certain historical uh, extraction sites. The wine itself was believed to like have other spices and and theogenic um, components to it. Mm. And so, 
you know, we're not talking about like a fully sober uh, set that people were working right. with even at the beginning of of um, the religion. And, you know, the last thing I'll say is that, you know, there's a an amazing book called Magic of the Ordinary. And the I love that title. Yeah, I, I love it too. And and what he the argument that he makes is that Judaism in its um original form was a closer to like sort of an indigenous based an indigenous earth based tradition, mm-hmm. more so than like this sort of like academic bookish like Europeanized or Christianized mm-hmm. view of Judaism that people have today. And so, you know, I think anything that really connects us back to the earth and like therefore connects us back to ourselves in like this elemental way. Yeah is psychedelic like what is the point of a psychedelic if not to feel of your own essence mm. and so again it with or without the drugs is yeah i think you know helps us to kind of get back into that original flavor yeah yeah i love that thank you for sharing all of that perspective and i had of course never heard um thought about the time component of these like mm-hmm. devotional times and you know i've always known like not working right i it's ridiculous, but I love the Big Lebowski, and so that's like, um, and him talking about show shoppers, yeah, and him not working, but um, or he doesn't bowl, but 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 what I love about that too is in and one of my questions actually for you later on in this is going to be just about work culture, right, and and how we can bring kind of like a psychedelic mindset into work. And it reminds me to again of we live in a culture of like go go go. You got to do, you got to hustle. And there's no emphasis on allowing sacred time to be, you know, mm-hmm. and to just commune in whatever ways that is. And and that doesn't have to even be, it's beautiful that that religion can hold a container for them. But that's something that we should all be able to, able to do. And I feel like, yes, okay, that was Sunday a little bit, I guess. But then it's, I feel like we've gotten so far away from, uh, that culture. And it's just nice to, again, like, yeah, this is time for you to be with yourself and to connect within and connect with all around you and to be grateful for like this experience. And that is certainly what the psychedelics have taught me. It's the journey within uh, mm-hmm. above all else. I know you're writing a book too on just religions in general, right? And psychedelics uh, and wrote an article in, was it Rolling Stone? You had written it? On religious, uh, yeah, about how they're all adopting these ancient psychedelic practices. Can you break that down for us a little bit? What are you learning? Yeah, I mean, so there's the book I'm writing is you know focused mainly on Judaism, but mm-hmm. you know coming from the experience of growing up in the Ramdas community and people's approach to Hinduism as well. Um, but that Rolling Stone article was basically that there are different religious groups, specifically from Abrahamic traditions, you know, whether it's Judaism or even some Christian groups or whatever, where people are seeking um, religious exemption to use psychedelics mm-hmm. in like church based, you know, faith based organizing groups. So, yeah. you know, I guess what I'm what I'm learning is that this is a movement really like, you know, I thought it was initially like my niche interest <laughs> that, you know, mm-hmm. that I've been following for the past seven and a half years. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that, you know, either, you know, this is like picking up steam, you know, a lot, a lot of it you know, I've been writing about this for so long and it's like, sometimes when you like crystallize the movement, it also gives it momentum a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in that article, I referred to, what was it? Like the, you know, the Jewish and theogenic society on Facebook is like over a thousand members at this point. And, 
you know, that we had the Jewish psychedelic summit and then there was a, a Mormon psychedelic summit. And now, you know, Christian groups are looking mm-hmm. into this and John Hopkins is doing a study on religious professionals. I was just going to ask um, about that. Can you tell us more about it? Do you know much, much about it? Yeah. So the idea is that a religious professional, like a priest, an imam, a rabbi, whatever, has the vocabulary already to sort of describe a mystical experience just by virtue of, you know, their, their trade, mm-hmm. so to speak. And and so the study looks at a psychedelic induced, specifically psilocybin induced mystical experience, which scientists have been able to delineate in psychedelic terms. And so, sorry, not psychedelic terms, in scientific terms. Mm-hmm. And so there's various criteria, like a sense of oneness or unity, uh, transcendence of time and space, a deeply felt positive mood, like a noetic quality or like sense of ultimate reality. Those are just a few. I don't remember all seven of them off mm-hmm. the top of my head. But, you know, the idea being that these religious professionals have sort of the background information and vocabulary to be able to really understand mysticism and help the scientists understand it. And it's so happens that the patients in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy who go in for treatment of, you know, different like indicate, you know, like uh, anxiety, like end of life anxiety or depression or whatever, often there's a correlation between the extent to which a patient has a mystical experience or checks off those criteria and the extent to which they have healing from the thing that they're going in for treatment for. So, you know, you could say that there's this overlap between mysticism and healing or spirituality and healing that has, you know, for most of scientific or medical history, at least in the Western world, been like absent. Yeah. You know, has not really been paid attention to. Whereas, you know, or purposely tried to separate it out. Like, no, no, no. Like we can't, we can't quantify that. So it's like, (laughs) and you know, we don't even have to Mm -hmm. use the God word, but like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But like, you know, indigenous cultures, you know, part of the healing ceremony is a sacred spiritual space. And there's more just like, you know, there's not that dichotomy in the same way. And so, yeah, I think it it looks like that. I just recently have been seeing some articles that they're like, it's showing that like the more you seemingly have a spiritual experience, the more it's, it's directly affecting like the healing and same thing with like sobriety, right? Like where, uh, those that are working with psilocybin, particularly right for alcoholism, it's the the kind of the direct thing that they're starting to see is like looks like the more that they're having this kind of spiritual experience uh the mm-hmm. more they're healing and 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 the hope is then i understand for the scientist how probably deeply uncomfortable that is and having to understand also how to like create studies now that better foster that without trying to purposely separate it um because I remember like reading articles where it was like such emphasis on basically the downplaying of a mystical experience. I'm, I'm blinking on who I was just listening to, but they were, they were basically saying like someone had, um, it must've been like ketamine because it it's what was happening right now. And, and they had a, a straight up, you know, mystical transcendent experience and was trying to explain it to the trip sitter or the, the therapist that was there. and that therapist was trained so much to basically devalue that. And basically it was like, um, it was from such a secular, like, oh, that's just your brain, you know, your ego is dissolving and this and this and that. And basically like telling her 
And, and basically I was like, and, and how it was such a disservice essentially to um, the experience. Cause the truth is like, we don't understand why necessarily we're healing from that extent, right? Like this is, this is where the big GOD comes in. It's like, there's that gap between like, we don't know why. And at least, at least that, that willingness to, to allow that to be a possibility would is, would be nice to just be like, okay, could be, or, you know, like scientists do like it'd be one thing. And then, so um, it's cool that it's moving in that direction. I'd be very curious to see what the results of that study that you were talking about. And if it, if it changed anything at all for those, you know, those priests and those rabbis, like what did, did it, did it shift their perspective at all? Yeah. I mean, well, Zach Kamenetz, who's the rabbi I co-founded the Jewish Psychedelic Summit with was um, initially a a participant in that study. Oh, what did he say about it? I mean, I wrote wrote an entire article about it, but I think it really gave him the experience of certain Jewish concepts that, again, like the same way I read about all this stuff in psychedelics and I did it. There's a lot of concepts that are in the religion that are actually quite psychedelic. And then he got to experience that. I mean, now he's founding um, an entire like psychedelic Jewish or Jewish psychedelic support organization, nonprofit. Um, So, you know, it's obviously launched him into his path as well. Wow. That's so cool. All right, cool. So, and what's the, what's the article? I'll I'll link it so that people, if they want to kind of like check out in detail what you wrote, so you don't have to reiterate it here. What, which, uh, which article is that? It's on Double Blind. Um, if you like Google, like Double Blind, Zach Kamenetz, uh, Judaism, Psychedelic Renaissance or something like that. Okay, cool. I'll, uh, I'll link that for everyone if, if those want to check it out. Um, right now, what do you feel is being a bit underserved in the media right now around psychedelics? Yeah, I mean, I think the preservation of and distillation of a psychedelic culture, as psychedelics are being so you know, there's such a mainstream media topic right now. Medicalized. Medicalized, pharmaceuticalized, Mm -hmm. industrialized. Um, You know, I'm seeing the same thing happen to psychedelics that happened with cannabis and which is like, it goes from being a movement or a countercultural thing to an industry. And that's fine. And I guess that's, that's how things, that's how it happens, especially when you legalize something or move toward a post-prohibition mm-hmm. paradigm. But I, you know, it also breaks my heart in a little bit of a way because I want to see the people who are involved in the psychedelic space, really like integrating the ethos of the psychedelics themselves yeah. and doing their own work and really, you know, like, keeping it, keeping it weird in yeah. the best possible way. And so, you know, I don't, what does that mean? You know, it's not for me to, to say, this is what the culture should be like, you know, I'm only one person in this whole sort of ecosystem, but, you know, I just, I don't want it to feel like just another, you know, American corporatized industry. Yeah. And so if there are ways and, and to an extent, you know, when, you know, if psychedelics really, if a, if a, if a, the home a hallmark of a psychedelic experience is the sort of transcendence of time and space that time is a sacred thing. And you, again, you can get that through practicing certain like religious rituals, or you could do it through a psychedelic experience or whatever. 
like when you are able to have an ownership over your own time and to like see time differently and not like time is money or time is crunch mm-hmm. and time is like how, you know, like when you're, when you separate your concept of time from the mainstream economic paradigm, that is radical. And, yeah. um, you know, I think affects work culture at large, I think affects like the way that we treat ourselves and our bodies and our mm-hmm. sense of care for ourselves and the planet. And so you know, I would love to see people really like taking that and and incorporating it into like their lifestyle and that the way they approach work and industry. And again, it's easier said than done and easier to, it's it's really hard to explain exactly what I'm talking about. I hope I don't sound crazy. No, no, no. I actually feel like I, I fully, I mean, I fully agree. And it, it's so great because it's in some ways, it's the reason why there's so much momentum, right? And, and the adoption and, and the fact that more, more and more people are going to trip now because of that, that big money push, right? Like, let's just say what it is. It's money is now pushing it to the forefront yeah. and that's where it gets great because at, at one point it's like, yeah, I mean, you and I were tripping way before there was a psychedelic movement and like, it's changed my life. Um, right. I think, I think for, and I've said this in other episodes, you know, for me, it's like, I'm all for everything as long as everything can stay. You know, it's like, I don't subscribe to anything called like a, just a medicalized model. Cause that's, first of all, that's not how I would trip. You know, I want to get weird with my friends in and dance and express myself in the, whatever way I want to. Like it's my body and soul and time. As you said, it's my sacred time to like choose the way in which I want to spend it. And you know, and same thing with like the, the churches and, and to be able to grow and to, and fine, if you want to go to a, a therapist and go to a very like medicalized route, like God bless, you know, great. If that's going to be, um, the path for you, you know, the path, especially if, if those that haven't are having to overcome stigma at this moment in time are needing right. to tiptoe into this space. But my hope is like yours is a, we keep it weird because psychedelics are strange, weird. Like once you do, I'm like, you have some interesting experiences. Like there's no way to pinpoint something that will not be pinpointed. It just won't allow it because there's no way to pinpoint, you know, to me, it's just a, it's a, and it's express, it's an expression of everything just like we are. Like, it's just, and it will show everything. And that's why there's no way to ever, everybody's going to have a completely different experience. But I think the sleeper in all of this, the sleeper, like it's almost like the all the psychedelics, the consciousness of them are like winking at each other because while we still maybe it's it's corporatized and money that's moving it forward. But the truth is the power of them when enough people start to. I don't know, learn the lessons and 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 begin to examine their life and examine themselves and examine the way that they move and operate through the world and. And what they want, the, you know, the hope is on a micro level, you change yourself on a macro level, you change the world. And so we'll see, you know, got to just keep holding the highest vision. And you guys, again, like you're doing a great job of covering it all and, and, and saying your truth and saying like, let's not, let's not lose sight of why this matters. And um, that's the beauty in all this. And I think that's probably similar to my next question to you, which is, is there, is there a, is there something that you would love to talk about that you just really haven't had uh, a chance to either write about or discuss. Nobody's asked you this question. I don't know what the question is, but I'm not going to ask you, like, is there something that's like, yeah, I've been wanting to just talk about this and I just haven't had the opportunity yet. 
Yeah, I mean, I talk about this, like, with my friends, you know, we sometimes, like, make fun of, like, this, like, nouveau psychedelic culture, and there's there's a lot of self-righteousness in it, and it gets very frustrating. Mm-hmm. You know, psychedelics don't automatically make you a better person. There's ego inflation as yeah, well. Inflation. Yeah, there's ego death, and then it, like, pumps right back up. <laughs> yeah. um, you see that in a lot of the psychedelic space, and the psychological mechanism by which that happens is another story, but I think that, you know, it's not enough to just say like, Oh, like I microdose or, Oh, you know, I do ayahuasca, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple of times a year or once a month or whatever, whatever the frequency is or acid or whatever, you know, it's like, that's who cares, you know, it's like new can still be like the same, like you can still be an asshole who does psychedelics. Totally. So like, the question is, it's like, what are you doing when you're doing the quote unquote work? And I don't even like referring to it always as like doing the work, you know, like it doesn't have to be this grueling experience. Like yeah. it can be like not every psychedelic trip is fun. Sometimes it does feel like work. And it's like, if you're dealing with trauma or difficult things, like that is work, but sometimes it's awesome. Yeah. Sometimes it's awesome. <laughs> like, I think that when people talk about like doing the work, they're taking this like like capitalist approach like what is work like work by definition in that paradigm is automatically something that is like not fun mm-hmm. that's not even healing mm-hmm. that you know that it's it's, it's, it's re it's re um uh traumatizing yeah. the soul almost a, a hazing process like oh like i have to get through like the most difficult grueling ayahuasca experience to come out as a quote-unquote better person because i did the work and purged all night like totally i, I don't want to like d- diminish the the sacredness of the experiences that people are having. And that's not what I'm saying I'm doing, but like, it's more like what, like, you know, I, I, there have been times in my life where like, I, you know, if I'm practicing yoga four times a week, that is more traumatized, traumatized, that is more healing (laughs) than, than, uh, you know, certain acid trips that I've been on. And so I think it's really just like how, like, I don't care if you're doing psychedelics or not, but are, are you like having a psychedelic lifestyle in which you are, Mm-hmm. implementing like these values of oneness or like compassion or empathy or connection to the earth or connection to community or connection to like something greater than yourself into the way that you move through the world. hundred percent. So beautifully like, said. Couldn't, couldn't agree more by the way. And I, I think, you know, doing the work when, when that is it, to me, to me, it's like the, the, the quickest way that I would say work to me is, do you have awareness? Are you moving through the light of your life aware or yeah. are you living by your patterns? You living in like an autopilot. And that to me is just the conscious it doesn't have to be hard. It's for me, it's like literally washing the dishes and I'm thinking about something else. And I'm literally like trying to practice, like being there with the dish, like not having to, it's very, it's funny to watch the minds like constantly fill in like yeah. dialogue. And I'm just like, for me, it's just like, how do I keep coming back to like the present moment? But the present moment can be like dancing in my apartment like you know what I mean like just that like it's just I think that level of awareness and I think what you're talking about is non not not being self-aware to just like do a trip and then be like I met God and then like I'm holy now and like I have the answers to everything and we've all had the experience or many of us had the experience of getting like the answer right and it's like and yes there I feel like there is that moment of like wanting to like share that and of course I've trip on this is, is a, is a manifestation of wanting others to 
change narrative a little bit to to understand maybe their own prejudices against it and stigma and to open it up for different voices to come in and say the thing that they might need to hear to potentially, and it doesn't have to be the psychedelic, like we're saying, a psychedelic lifestyle has nothing to do with a substance. Yeah. And I've met so many people who haven't touched a psychedelic who are having lived trippier lives and more conscious lives than people I know who trip acid every week. Yeah. 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 Me too. For sure. Um, This is actually a perfect little segue into my next question. It was about another article you wrote in Rolling Stone about the psychedelic approach to work culture. And I feel like here we are perfectly lined up to that. Can you talk about what a psychedelic approach to work culture looks like from your perspective? And I know you've yeah. some great, some great article uh, quotes also in that article as well. So love for you to elaborate. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do again with like decolonizing our time and, you know, capitalism by definition colonizes your time mm-hmm. and your time is now owned by the thing that gives you money. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fine. That's normal. That's how work works, so to speak. But I think a lot of it has to do with like when it, it reduces a person to like your value as an, you know, you are an employee and your value is based on your hours put in and your hours put in are valued at this particular amount. And, you know, I think a lot of it has to do more with like understanding the value of the thing that a person is doing, mm-hmm. whether or not it takes them 40 hours a week or 60 hours a week or 20 hours a week. And I don't have all the answers to like how to do this. I just know that like, you know, the way I interact with my writers, the double blind, you know, a lot of them are freelancers, but even the people who work with us, you know, like I want people to feel like they have, that they can have a life and they can do this work and it doesn't have to be in competition. Yeah. And so making space for just balance and, you know, you know, I think a lot of this has to do also with like when I had Corona, um, this was back in like March, 2020, mm-hmm. I was sick for like three weeks and oh, wow. was never like sick enough where I stopped working. Like there was maybe like two days where I was really messed up, but it really like turned me around a little bit. And, you know, there were moments where I was like, I was, I felt like I wasn't working hard enough. And I'm like, wait a minute, I have coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I, no one understands how this virus works. Yeah. You were like, you said 2020, March, 2020. Yeah. It was so you were like right in the scary zone of like, what do I have here? Yeah. And it, it look, it came off like, it, it felt like a regular, thank God, like I had a, a mild experience. I mean, not mild, but it, I, I don't, you know, I, I just didn't realize Corona was like a trip in and of itself. Like, mm-hmm. even though like I could thank God breathe and, you know, I, whatever, I was still like, so I should have been more bedridden than I was. And I wasn't acknowledging like how, how sick I was a little mm-hmm. bit. I was working through it and I was like, this is bullshit. Like I, I work for like a psychedelic magazine. Like if Mm -hmm. like, I need to like acknowledge my humanity and like acknowledge like my need for rest and acknowledge that like in like the, the ecosystem, like this web of my life where you have personal human needs, like that's not distinct from who you are as like an employee as if you're like, you're a non-human doesn't have these like health needs. And, you know, I, also, I recently was diagnosed with Lyme disease. And so that's another thing that's really like Sorry. turned around my perception of like who I am as like an individual versus a professional versus like someone who's like a worker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I'd like to see in the psychedelic space is this like acknowledgement of humanity and like whether it's like giving employees like, you know, free reign to say like you have like, you know, 
respecting like paid time off or giving like unlimited time off, just knowing that a person will just get the work done or like yeah. having like, uh, what should I say? It's just like faith in the people who are doing their jobs and like also understanding that like a person's purpose isn't just to like get work done, but to like be self-actualized. And so like, yeah. how can we like really try to create working environments that like enable a person to do the work that they're going to thrive at. And like, that's mm-hmm. going to like put them as much into flow state as possible. Yeah. That's maybe like more ideal and like easier said than done. And not every company has like that um, luxury, but you know, I think it's like a value. I think it's just a reorientation of our value system. And like that then will Kind of into it'll trickle in. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a really important conversation and something that people should hear. And um, that's certainly how I think that as we shepherd in kind of a new way of being in the world, which yeah. you know I believe we are, and and I think eventually a, a better way of being, right? Like one that's going to be more balanced and people first. Um, and and I think it starts with understanding the the programming within ourselves. Because just like you, um, and you know, being sick and not resting still, and and having, I always say, the ego inside me is—it's got such a whip, it's re- yeah. relentlessly telling me I'm not doing enough, um, yeah. and and that's unfortunate, you know, like because I know that the other side of my mind, like, knows I'm like, God, like, chill, rest, and like, I'll be just resting, but like thinking about other things. I'm not truly like at rest, and the journey for me right now, a trip on this is very much also about that because I was also, I, it was, it was a quote from Mike and your, is it Margulies? Margolin. Margolin. I, he had said something about like how, when he went in and, and started doing like psychedelic work, how he was like at an office, like 40 hours a week, like office job again. And I am still trying to heal that in myself. I've always had corporate jobs. The first time I've ever had a job, like doing anything like, like this and like trying to sh- reshift the, uh, the way of being, I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to just work that hard. I want to live my life. Like, you know, and, and to be passionate, like I want to be fully, wholly integrated, like what I do and, and where I'm at and everything is all part of one expression. They're not separated. Cause I think that it's separation that has always gotten us in trouble. It's like the separation from the, our whole self is like, yeah, my work self needs to do this. And like all that, I'm like, no, that is your whole self. You're, you're all there. So I'm, I'm, I think it's, it's- not a virtue to burn out. No, and I think but people, people make it seem like it. That's, and that's what really pisses me off. And, you know, I, I, I've worked myself to the point of burnout and it's like, there's something about being a hard worker and like, that's admirable, but not like that you're working so hard at the expense of your life. Totally. I, I felt like I've martyred myself like so many times. And there's a part of me that's like, why are you doing that? Kat? Like that to me then points to like a greater fear within myself then, because then that there's somehow underneath. And like, that's the the journey of uncovering is like, okay, what part of you doesn't um, needs to show that you're working this hard? What part of you is like, you know what I mean? Like that's where the deep, deeper exploration comes from. And um, you know, again, it's like that, like, sleep I'll sleep when I die vibe and I'm like no that's yeah why do you want to live like that? like don't you want to enjoy I, this life <laughs> and sleep you know how good eight hours feels <laughs> <laughs> I mean that was really like I had that mentality and 
between Corona and Lyme, like I, I've like done a 180, like, wow. like nothing comes before my health. Yeah. Some, sometimes it takes those kind of like, what probably felt like a rock bottom moment for you at the time of like getting like a diagnosis of like, especially with Lyme, like to go, okay. It's like, sometimes they like could be like the greatest wake up calls, like those difficulties, as we know, like obstacles can also be the unlocking of the thing that we needed the most. I was lucky enough to like catch it quickly. And I realized like, I'm okay as long as I stay healthy and well slept and well fed and not stressing out my nervous system. Yeah. And that's and I, Sorry. Oh yeah. No, I just, I just think that's like, that is like a lifestyle in and of itself. It's like, why should I even be putting myself in situations where my nervous system is stressed out? Yeah. And that comes back to then like creating company culture is like, do not, first of all, people do their best work when they are feeling good, you know? And like from an energy perspective, I won't even work on my own podcast if I'm tired. Like if Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like resisting wanting to do anything, I'm like, I'm not going to put that energy into the thing I love because it's not worth it. It's not worth just, it's not about just doing as much work as possible or as much. It's about doing, first of all, great work and being in that flow because like when everything is flowing with you, I feel like that's where opportunity opens. That's where, um, that's where trust comes in, right? Like that's where the trust that you don't have to grind yourself into the ground. That's an, that's the old patriarchal system that was like work till you die. and. I hope to continue to talk about things like this. I hope that you continue to talk about things like this and write those kind of articles because it takes enough people to go like, yeah, you know what? Why? Why? And, and to know that like productivity doesn't go down. Yeah. It doesn't and it increases. Yeah. So final, final things. Is there anything on the horizon for you that you're very excited about? Anything that double blinds up to that you guys, I know you're always partnering on cool projects now. What's up? What can we look out for? Um, so we, let's see, we have our sixth issue coming out um, this month. So nice. you should order a copy of the print issue. Cool. <clears throat> um, we're planning a few events for next year, including a double blind music festival. Oh, where's it going to be? I think in like the Ojai area. Oh, sick. In California? Mm-hmm. Oh, perfect. Or jo- yeah, I, we're like nailing down a location. So or just- Joshua Tree, hell yeah, either one would be great. And then uh, what else can I tell you? Um, you know, we're gonna be, look, you know, we're starting to plan out the next Jewish Psychedelic Summit as well. I personally have like a new podcast on the Be Here Now Network called Set and Setting. It's on psychedelics awesome. essentially and the legacy of Ram Dass. Yeah, just you know, I would say just follow me, follow Double Blind, and see what's what's happening. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'll put I'll link all of your socials. I'll put your podcast on there. Uh, music festival sounds dope. Sounds like a trippy good time. Um, of course, there will be none of that. I know, but <laughs> <laughs> Madison, it was so lovely to get to know you and hear your story. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And for everyone, as always, trip on this.